five, four, three, two, one. Engines full power and lift off. You applied to be a private astronaut for Axiom Space. I did, yeah, and I got an email back today. I haven't had the chance to read it, but you know, it it looks like, um, you know, they're interested in having private astronauts. They seemed interested in you know what I'd be testing, um, you know, as a private astronaut. But I don't know. We'll we'll see. So, they like you being Canadian wasn't an issue. Uh, I don't think they know I'm Canadian. So uh, that's, I think <laughs> I I don't know. We'll see what happens. But I, I'm not entirely sure if it will be an issue because they are private and you're not technically designing rockets. So yeah, but it's also like you can't design a turbine without it being under ITAR. Yeah, so it wouldn't be a turbine. It's the gecko adhesive nets, right? Like that's what we're testing. We'd bring it up to the International Space Station. I'm so sorry. I completely misunderstood what you're saying. So you applied to be a private astronaut to do an extension of your KenRGX yes, project correct. on the ISS. Yeah, <laughs> that would be that would be so sweet. Right, it would be awesome. Would you just bring the Gecko adhesive, or would you bring a like similar testing apparatus to what you have designed now? Uh, it would be a different different uh, testing apparatus. It would be more of um, just a structure to hold the net rather than having our you know whole launching mechanism and everything in there like that's not necessary when we're actually in space so you know you'd send it out there as just a payload and see if it would collect debris over the course of the time and then you know do a spacewalk bring it back in and see what happens that would be like it would be really cool if you could get like mass produce a large gecko adhesive like tarp size like oh yeah yeah, yeah. that's our foot plan by 24 mm -hmm. foot and then somehow hang that off the iss yeah that's that's what we want to do yeah. that's what i want to do i i actually wonder like like you know how um you measure like isotope decay like by like a rate yeah i wonder if you could calculate like space debris per per hour caught or something like that yeah i like obviously that's something you could calculate uh, with the right sensors and um proper data collection but i don't know it's it's a long prog like it's a long process i wish you luck my friend thank you so thank you. just to kind of like add a little context right now um axe 2 is currently doing our splashdown live while we are recording this so if you hear us like randomly uh, say hooray or look at that, um, that is what we are watching. But uh, welcome everyone. We are now in episode two of Flashback Enter. Yeah. And I wanted to start off with a question that I don't think you have an answer to, but I want to like kind of bring it up in the air. Okay. Okay. What do you think is the biggest hurdle when becoming an astronaut? Hmm. drive and dedication that's the hurdle that's the biggest hurdle for people it, for me it, that's not a hurdle <laughs> you, you know that's not a hurdle uh, but yeah you're kind in of general drive and dedication it's you need to be the best of the best and you need to have that drive and dedication to get over any other barrier like if you have that drive and dedication there are no hurdles so in astronaut selection 
where do you think people would lose the drive and dedication to persevere? Like what step? It's even getting two applications. Okay. It's, you know, leading up to being the best of the best of the candidates, right? Like they're going to weed out the people that, you know, lost their drive and dedication along the way. And, you know, if, even if they have found it again, they're, they don't have the same chance that um, people that stuck with it the whole way, um, you know, you, you lose that competitive advantage. Uh, yeah, I could see that. It's definitely like to become an expert, right? So anyone mm -hmm. can become an expert, but that still takes an insane amount of dedication and uh, what, what would you call it? In, intent. Yeah, so 100%. intentive experience. I actually read a lot of books that are like, what do you need to do to become a master in something? And it's not hours, it's intentive hours. Intentive so hours, okay. Hours spent with the intent of improvement. And it, it like, personally, there's some times where I, I try to learn something and I just don't have the drive or the intent and it's like wasting uh, kind of Burning, burning those hours. You're not yeah. actually actively learning. I'm convincing your... myself I'm learning, but I'm not actually learning. I see. I find I saw doing like doing that when I'm um, doing schoolwork, but with project work, I'm the, I'm the opposite. I'm like, okay, I need to learn. This is sick. This is so so cool. Yeah, and it's easier to be attentive with the stuff you actually really care about. A hundred percent. So like, I don't know what 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 are we required to learn in school? Mechanical systems, transmission design. Like that stuff's cool, but I wasn't in, intentively trying to learn it. I was right. kind of forced to. But when it comes to like rocket engines and rocket cycles, I'm just like mind blowing. I could it's, read Wikipedia like right? all day long <laughs> and not feel bored. Go down the rabbit hole. Like it's so many cool things to learn. So I'm actually curious if you know this. What is the height range for becoming an astronaut? I think it caps out at six foot three. Um, so it, you're I, actually right about that. Yeah, yeah, it's so you can't be taller than six foot three. Six and foot three. I think it's five foot six to six foot three. No, it's four eleven to six. Oh, is it four eleven? Four eleven's the min. Okay. So they like short people and not yeah. tall people. But yeah, I was actually like I, I looked up kind of like what it takes to be an astronaut, mm -hmm. and I was surprised with what I learned. Yeah, so, six foot three is the cap. Okay, what what do you think the weight range is? Oh, I think two forty pounds is the highest. No. No, it's ranges from two or sorry one ten to two ten. Okay, I was so kind of close. I'm five pounds away from being Ill ineligible to becoming Dang, an astronaut. Dang, you gotta you gotta lose some mass. Yeah, it's cutting season. Yeah, We're there gonna you have go. Have to slim up. But yeah, so I I, I was kind of doing some research. U.S. and Canada, they're they're pretty similar in they're what their similar, requirements yes. are. Um, Canada will take on doctors as well. So anyone yep. with a doctorate in medicine and dentistry can also qualify to be an astronaut. Mm -hmm. um, but they also need three years of relevant professional experience. So that the, the doctors don't. No, they you, need a practical experience. So that is for um, like well, it's the requirements are three years of experience. In a relative or in a, um, an engineering field or data science field mm -hmm. or having a doctor's in medicine yeah. or dentistry. Yeah. You don't need three years of experience in medicine 
Well, if you have a doctorate in medicine, it's assumed you have. Exactly. Yeah. You like, but you don't need to like work another three years after that. Yeah. Yeah. Like, yeah. It's, yeah. Um, but I was actually surprised that uh, Canada will take STEM, any STEM field and doctors, but mm -hmm. NASA will only take people with masters in STEM, not even bachelors in STEM. No, they don't. They don't even consider them. Yeah. Um, why do you think that is? I actually don't. It's just to make it more competitive. I, that's what I think. I personally think that they have so many, um, like their population is significantly larger than ours, right? Hmm. So they get a lot more applicants um, is what I think. Um, and more and more people are getting their bachelors in STEM. Right. Right. So yeah, they campus. don't want just anyone applying. They want the best of the best. And a master's shows that you can dedicate yourself to research and applying yourself. For six years. For six years. NASA also has an, an additional requirement, which I didn't really understand, so hopefully you can fill me in, fill the gaps in. Um, long-duration flight physical. You must pass what's known as a long-duration flight physical. From what I can tell, it involves a lot of flying in fighter jets and parabolic flights. Um, but that's as much as I can figure out. Yeah, so, um, you know, over the course of your, your flying career in the States, um, you'll get various medical checks. That's It's just a medical check to ensure that you're flight ready. So that you're physically capable to hop on the one of the fastest machines humans have ever made. Exactly, yeah. <laughs> okay, yeah, I can see why that's relevant. What, like, what do you think... It, actually feels like to be on something going 12 kilometers per second uh, fast <laughs> fast yeah fast that's you know like there's no other way to describe that like you're moving 12 kilometers per second like that's ridiculous and like even the vibrations from that like you could feel that through your skeleton you just your skeleton is vibrating at that point <laughs> every atom in my body. yeah literally <laughs> like yeah no like you're strapped to a bunch of explosives. Like, is if you really think about it, that's you're on top of a bunch of ex high power explosives. Controlled explosives. They are controlled, yes, oh, but I, they're still explosives. Did I tell you today what a pogo accumulator is? You did. Um, I want you to explain it again because I did not grasp it fully. Okay. So, speaking of controlled explosives, that is a rocket engine. Sometimes they can go. Or the uh, the detonation can be, or it's deflagration. I guess it's not uh, detonation because it's not a sonic boom. Mm -hmm. um, it can become unstable. Okay. And so what will happen is in your chamber, like the chamber of your rocket engine, you'll have in instability occur where your pressure increases slightly okay. due to like vibrations yeah. or something, and that increase in pressure in the combustion chamber has a back pressure on the fuel that's being injected. Okay. And so that lowers the fuel that's getting injected into the combustion chamber. But since now there's less fuel, mm -hmm. your pressure will drop. So more fuel can come in because the back pressure is lower. And then you're back, like, you have more fuel, your chamber pressure will increase, and it's like this cycle. Yeah, okay. And it's basically, it's not exactly like resonance. It is sometimes Similar? related. Okay. But it's basically a oscillating pressure differential in your chamber which causes a pressure differential in your fuel lines 
that can lead to instabilities that can destroy your um your chamber your fuel lines like your turbine everything okay um and so they have what's called a pogo accumulator which is is basically you know what does pogo stand for something or is it just i tried to i thought it stood for something i think it's just reference to a pogo stick oh okay (laughs) (laughs) so uh but like yeah so the pogo accumulator is basically like a flow inertial mass so it's like a reservoir attached to the fuel line that will dampen out those oscillations right and so it prevents you from oscillating your motor to death yeah that tends to help eh? yeah but it's it's just like insane how the vibrations and the oscillations that are caused by the motor running itself can cause such an instability that like acoustic it's an acoustic instability like it's a pressure wave building yeah. up in the in the medium and so yeah well <laughs> that's my my trivia of the day trivia of the day uh if you had asked me that 20 minutes ago uh, i would not have been able to answer any of that but well yeah it came it came like i kind of like looked into this because we were just looking at a rocket engine schematic and it said pogo accumulator and i was like, like what's that what what, what what is that why do you need a pogo stick on your rocket engine <laughs> well now you know now you know. How many how many astronauts do you think are actually familiar with the technology they're climbing on top of? What do you mean familiar? Like, like understand the working operations, how everything yeah. works. Um, some more than others, but I don't think most of them are propulsion experts. Um, obviously, being that smart, they could probably figure put out. two and two together yeah. and figure out, like, the basic fundamental operations of how it works it's just like 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 now i understand how a car works but like back earlier in my degree yeah i couldn't tell you how the locomotion works but i still trusted myself to drive it yeah no yeah i wonder if it's a similar deal i bet it is yeah i bet it is i think it's probably easier to not worry about how it's working than to uh (laughs) (laughs) um figure out how every intricate part works yeah i guess i mean don't get hung up on the details i want to get hung up on the details because i think it's cool and i think that's something i want to pursue but obviously everyone going into space they have different pursuits and uh, they're targeting different areas of research not everyone is focused on propulsion not everyone is even focused on space systems you know there's biomedical there's like well, there's a lot of health research that comes out of Canada on the ISS. Most of our research opportunities are biomedical. Interesting. Yeah. Like, do you have any examples of kind of research they're doing? Um, I'm not sure if you've heard of the twin study, um, but there was two um, astronauts and they Is were this, twins. Wait, Scott Scott Kelly, right? Yeah. Yeah. Okay, yeah. I have heard of this. Okay. Yeah. Keep so going. I'll I'll explain it. Um, basically, uh, they're they're twins. There's two astronauts, um, but one of them has never been to space. Right, backup right. astronaut. Backup astronaut. Never been to space. Neither is the other one. But he's going up. Mm-hmm. So he goes up for a three month mission. Comes back, and they look at their DNA and they compare them. Like that's why they have the exact same DNA. They can compare. Oh, uh, sorry. I was confused for a second. I think both of the br- brothers are astronauts, but they, only one went to space. Yes, exactly. Right. Okay. Okay. Um, so yeah, only the one went to space. Um, 
So now they compare the data because they have a control sample, the one that didn't go to space, and they have the one that did. And they actually noticed that the telomeres at the end of the DNA uh, strands mm -hmm. were extended. They were they lengthened. They lengthened due to microgravity. Yeah. Interesting. Or sorry, the other way around. They shrunk. They shrunk. Okay. Yeah. Sorry. <laughs> they shrunk. Clarification. DNA they shrunk. Got shorter. Yeah. They so shrunk. <laughs> the telomeres are basically the, um, the the caps, right, at the end mm -hmm. of it, and so those got shorter in they microgravity. Shorter. Yes. Interesting. And I think it took about another three months for them to extend back to their proper length. What does that mean? We don't know. <laughs> <laughs> we don't know. If if you were to go on on your dream trip to the ISS, yeah. What what research would you want to do? I think echo adhesive research. Okay, yeah, I yeah like a hundred percent. Um, I don't know. Like, there's so many cool research opportunities. Um, I'm more interested in the mechanical side of things. Um, I think what uh, McKenna is doing with um, Mission Spacewalker, they're now doing, like, electro-adhesive pads on boots. So, like, walking around with electro-adhesive pads on the ISS would be pretty cool. Like, kind of artificial gravity, but not really. Yeah, kind of. <laughs> yeah. That is, I didn't know they were doing that. That is really interesting. They're they're playing around with it, yeah. Okay. Are you familiar with how the electro-adhesive works? I'm not. I'm not either. Yeah, it's <laughs> out of my scope. I definitely think we should talk to McKenna about it sometime. Though. That'd be pretty cool. Bring her on, yeah. I think, I have, like, this is just a guess. Like, a charge differential builds up in the boots and attracts the surfaces. That's Don't quote me. Just I don't know. I can neither confirm nor deny. <laughs> <laughs> that, that is... Wow. Still you, no splashdown. Still no splashdown. They are still falling at Mach 5 through the atmosphere. Um, do, you, like, do you think you get claustrophobic? How many... Or it's probably like they're picked because they're not claustrophobic. Yeah, right? exactly. Yeah. But you're like in a tiny tin can with four other people getting... Sitting on a bunch of explosives. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. You're so, well, honestly, at that point, you're in your own world. You're like, you're sitting there. You're not thinking about anything other than, okay, what do I need to do in this moment? Right. You're, you're not focused on being claustrophobic. You're like, and you have all that training too. Like, you know that you're not going to be claustrophobic. You right. know that you're prepared for it. So I, I actually wonder about this because. We kind of neglect reliability in like systems. Like we like consider it like engineering, of course. But like I'd never get into my truck and be like, "Oh, what's the percentage my truck's gonna break down today?" Like you know. Yeah. But reliability with a, a space system like a rocket, that is something that it, they actually consider every oh, time. Oh, one hundred percent. Climb on. What do you think, like personally? What that reliability would have to be for you to comfortably get on top. Well, ideally, a hundred percent. It's never going to be a hundred percent. Obviously, you know, you're not in a perfect world. Yeah, fifty-fifty is too low. <laughs> okay, fair enough. <laughs> like that's like you don't want to coin, coin flip. Okay, maybe, oh, maybe I should I blew re up. redefine what reliability is because, like, okay, yeah, it's not necessarily isn't blowing that it's going to blow up. It's that it won't your launch will get scrubbed. Right? Exactly. That okay. something will will happen critical to the mission. And then within that 
mission critical range is the rocket is it's fire. a it's a quite a wide branch there of is things, there is though. a large amount of things that can go wrong <laughs> during a rocket yeah. launch like you can um was it the falcon 9 or falcon heavy test flight mm, i might be misremembering but they had an issue with chamber pressure mm -hmm. um and so the launch got scrubbed because the chamber pressure wasn't reading what was expected. Oh, right. But it turned out that it was just a pressure sensor failure, not an actual uh, misread. Right. So it is like stuff like that would be considered in the 99% the reliable or whatever that figure had to be. But like, yeah, I couldn't, like, I, I don't get in my truck and worry if I'm going to it's die. It's going to break down yeah. or you're going to end up in the blowing ditch. up from your engine misfiring. Exactly. But... It's like, I guess it's just scale, you know? Yeah. 100%. My truck isn't powered by enough force to, I don't know, to carry a planet. Because <laughs> <laughs> yeah. what? The Apollo missions, an F1 engine was 1.5 million pounds of thrust. Something like that. Something ridiculous, yeah. Like, that's like not even graspable, graspable as a human to think about. Uh, no, like that's a massive number, and you don't like you can't physically see what that means. No, like you can't even right, think about it in like number of elephants. No, you really can't. <laughs> <laughs> okay, we're probably not going to watch Splashdown. That's yeah, unfortunate. No, that's too bad. Maybe later. I I actually have this. Uh, I don't know if it's a bad habit or it's a really good habit, but every time um, I have this app. It was recommended to me called, um, I think it's like Next Space Flight. Okay. Yeah, Next Space Flight. And it'll just ping me 10 minutes before there's a launch oh, or an event. Oh, that's that's So awesome. every, I'll be like literally an hour into my two hour long workout. Yeah. And, and it'll ding. It, it'll be like ding. I'm like, all right, I'm about to watch <laughs> Act Just two. sitting there on the I bench. I actually watched like the <laughs> Axe 2 Mission uh, Freedom launch while doing leg extensions at the gym. <laughs> So that is my my new habit where I just nonstop watch launches now. Hey, that's there's nothing wrong with that. Even the Soyuz, like we've watched Soyuz launch for like decades now. Yeah. And I still um, watch every one. Ben and I watched in uh during lunch. They Soyuz, Soyuz docked. Lunch? Oh docked. Yeah. That's so seeing how that worked was pretty cool and the thrusters to line up with the you know, docks on the ISS. I like guess it's, it's cool. I think Soyuz is cold gas thrusters. Yes, I yeah. think. I think, yeah. I mean, I could just Google. Okay, maybe not. That sounds awful on the mic. Um, <laughs> yeah, it is. It's such a like delicate control system needed to steer something like that. Like it is. I mean, I guess we technically have made systems that delicate before. Like, I mean, your counter, counter GX launching mechanism is pretty much as delicate as that. It's maybe it's a little more coarse, but it is a little bit more coarse, definitely. But you it's still. Have you, have you taken any like control system classes yet? Not yet, no. So it is like such an interesting how the feedback loops work. Yeah. So, like you have like an orientation of something, you know where it has to go. Mm -hmm. How do I? What actions do I have to take to orientate it to that position? That's kind of how that's, a feedback system would work. That's pretty cool. In that case. Yeah. 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 They're quite interesting, and I don't understand them that well. But. Well, going into my third year, um, I haven't really taken a lot of, like, 
elective courses or anything that has like piqued my interest to like an extent that I would continue studying it. Like everything's interesting that I've learned so far, but nothing that I would be like, okay, this is what I want to dedicate my life's work to. You know? Yeah, you don't really get that till fourth year. Exactly. And even then, it depends on what semester it is. <laughs> That's reassuring. Thank you. So I guess on the road to becoming an astronaut, mm -hmm. what is the kind of fitness conditioning required? Um, well, obviously, you have to be in decent shape. Um, oh, yeah, you're in amazing shape. But like, where's the line between pass and fail? You just, you need to, I honestly, I don't even know. Like, maybe it's not that well defined. I don't think it is. You obviously need to pass that medical that we were talking about earlier. Mm -hmm. You need to pass, you need to be physically fit enough that you can, you know, um, do day to day operations and um, operate. Right. But, like, there's the 210 weight limit. Right, I'm like that's there. it limits you. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, there is actually one other. Um, I guess it's not a restriction, mm -hmm. but like to become an astronaut in Canada. In Canada, they well, we are a bilingual country. Yes. So they give preference to bilingual speakers. Yes. Yeah. Um, it's an asset to have both of them. It's as, considered an asset. Yes. Yeah. So have you started Duolingo? I am Duolingoing every night. <laughs> Good man. Good man. Uh, um, yeah, it's, you know, you take French growing up in elementary, and it's up to you if you want to pursue it further, but I decided not to and, you know, kind of regret it, but it gave me a lot of other options to, you know, explore things that I was interested in. And now I can just pick it up on Duolingo, and it's it's there. Yeah, the French classes growing up weren't that great. For, no. Well, for me, anyways. No, they were not. They were like obviously you have to understand the basics and the the framework, but I don't know. You never learn how to speak to someone in French. You learn how to read and write in French, and you learned random words that were not relevant. Exactly. Yeah, it was basically just like a kindergarten class carried over to a different language, it, but in sixth. Yeah. Grade. Exactly. Yeah. But uh, I actually did start using Duolingo not too long ago to uh, teach myself Japanese. Japanese. Because there was an opportunity I had to go to Japan yeah. and do research. So what uh, happened with that? I don't think it's going to happen anymore. Oh, that's too bad. Might be Germany. It was Germany just like some cool. application errors. So oh, okay. I didn't get my application in on time. But um, yeah, so I guess I can switch to French now, even though I don't need it. But all the MDA jobs mm -hmm. are in French. Not necessarily. Not all of them. All the ones in Montreal. All the ones in Montreal. You need French. Yeah. The ones in Toronto are in English. The ones in BC are English. So should I just start? I'm going to switch my Duolingo to French now. Yeah, uh, definitely. Like, it's it's an asset to have in Canada if you want to work in aerospace. You need French, especially because the hub is in Montreal. Yeah. CSA is based out of Montreal. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I'll add that to my to-do to -do list. Good. It's but a long to-do list, Tyler. Yeah, it never ends. Yeah. <laughs> but I actually am curious, like, when you are learning something, what kind of, like, steps do you take 
to ensure that you're doing it most effectively? Or like kind of what's your habits when it comes to learning? That's a good question. If you don't um, have a system yet? Well, when it comes to school, it's, um, you know, read the lecture slides, but mainly read out of the textbook. Like, I don't know. I hear what the profs are saying, and it's kind of in one ear, out the other, unfortunately. Depends on the class, very dependent on the class. Mm -hmm. But for a lot of my classes, it's like I need to physically see what's going on. I need to be able to touch what's going on. So having the textbook kind of gives me that, that, that touch that I need, gives mm -hmm. me the grasp on what's happening, and I just understand it so much better. And taking six classes at a time, you don't have a lot of time to do the pre-class readings. So a lot of the time it's me teaching myself out of a textbook. Okay. But like when you're doing that self-teaching, yeah. do you like, I don't know, take note, note lines on a piece of paper recite them back to yourself like kind of how do you try to increase memory retention i just absorb it man you're just smart i'm not even smart i just absorb it okay because <laughs> i always find when i'm trying to like learn a topic like especially like if it is for school before midterms yeah i will have to write lines just go to the textbook and copy the textbook down okay and like the act of the stroking with a pen will help me retain that better yeah so like using my ipad for notes before like taking notes down and you know writing stuff in class. Yeah. Use my iPad. And switching from uh, like hard notes to my iPad, I noticed that my <laughs> grades went down. I noticed that too. Right. So now like I'm it's switching like, back. It's like the act of writing it on a a tablet is like not even close to writing. Like it paper. feels similar, but it's like when I write on paper, I engrave it in my soul. Exactly. Yeah. But when I write on a tablet, it's just another uh, it's just gone. It's another piece of trash on exactly. my, uh, my tablet. Gone and forgotten. Um but yeah, writing stuff down does help. Mm -hmm. Especially because you know there's a lot going on in my life. There's a lot going on in my brain. Sometimes I just gotta write it down and you know have a clear, concise list of things to follow. And especially when it comes to learning things, you know, if you you need to check the boxes make sure you understand things yeah i agree with that and even extending that to like fi problem solving and figuring mm -hmm. stuff out i have like literally sorry i looked away for a second <laughs> i have like 10 notebooks yeah each one for a different topic and whenever i want to figure something out i'll just like write down all my thoughts yeah that's 100 percent a good thing though like and i feel then, like i actually make progress right and then it's there like you have it there, and if you need to look back, it's there. Yeah, and it's it's like the the greatest skill I think I've developed through my undergrad mm -hmm. is learning how to note stuff down, not only for myself but for others. Yeah, the documentation. Documentation. You need to have it there. I was like not a fan of documentation early in my undergrad, but now like I'm just like everything. Write down everything. Take right? photos of everything. You need to think of the, you know, who's coming in after you. Right? Exactly. Like, also, like, so with a system we have, the TVAC, mm -hmm. it's basically like an ancient relic that it's, we've unearthed. Yeah. So there is some documentation from 2018, but that's it. That's, oh, that I was the I original should, capstone, right? Yeah. So I guess I should explain what the TVAC is. So for Alberta Sat, we have a tool in one of our project's rooms that is a thermal vacuum chamber. 
And so it basically consists of this huge vacuum chamber with a scroll pump and a turbo pump um, that can get down to like 10 to the minus five, 10 to the minus six tor. And then inside is a resistive heater and a refrigerant cooler that we use to induce a thermal gradient or just heat up, cool down, whatever our specimens are. Mm -hmm. And it was developed through a fourth year capstone project. Um, right. And so it was kind of built in two parts. The vacuum chamber and the thermal system were two separate projects that were oh, then brought together. I didn't realize that. I didn't realize that either. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> when I finally figured out, I'm like, yeah, this makes a lot of sense why it's all disjointed. Yeah. Um, so basically we have all this old documentation from 2018, but since then we've mm -hmm. made changes. Right? right, and that wasn't documented, right? That wasn't properly documented. So now I have this machine I don't know its limits or capabilities. <laughs> it's undocumented really how it operates. Like we have a procedure, but is that the proper procedure? Is that what, what? Is that the updated accurate procedure? Is that how it was intended to be used? Right. And it's stuff like that. So it's, I, it's like an ancient relic. I need to go in and basically safely experiment with its limits to, to characterize the system. Yeah, you don't want to blow anything up. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but if, if people had just taken extra time to document the changes that were made... Mm -hmm. or the state of the machine when it was built. Yeah. It wouldn't be like this intimidating task of well, yeah. figure out what the TVAC is. <laughs> Such an over like overwhelming thing. Like getting that thrown at you, right? Like Like I, I'm not like it is kinda intimidating. I wouldn't say I've over, over I am overwhelmed. Okay. I, that's I have good. kind of like a plan of attack to figure it out. Good. Good. But it is just kinda like funny how we have this thing that matches nothing. It is a <laughs> unique piece of Alberta sat history. It is, yeah, definitely. Um, I think that's part of my work package this summer is TVAC. With TVAC, yeah. All right, we'll talk after. All I right, have, I have a lot. I have a lot to say about TVAC. <laughs> okay. <laughs> <laughs> but like, it is very interesting. Like, thermal vacuum testing. Like, how do you mimic the effects of space on Earth? Right? Yeah. It's kind of like when we were talking about last week, the uh, analog research. Right. How do you mimic space conditions? Yeah. Yeah. And build stuff for remote right. areas. Uh-huh. Yeah. It's such a cool area of research. It really is. Yeah. Well, I highly advise that you sign up for that project, Tyler. For analog ARX? ARX, analog research experiment. I, I need more, a team. Just ask anyone in Alberta Sat. Mm -hmm. You got a team. <laughs> you really? Think? Yeah. Okay. Maybe if I come come up with a good idea. Maybe. Yeah. 100%. I, I will advise you guys the whole way through. Uh, you seem pretty stressed out with spider sat right now, so. Yeah, give me a little bit of time. That ends, that wraps up, but like that's July 31st to August 4th. So like that's wrapping up soon. Yeah. I, I imagine though, like when it's CDR season for Exalted 3, uh, or whatever the satellite's mm -hmm. called, um, I'll feel the same way you are. Right oh, now. you definitely will. Okay. Yeah, and you probably will lose grip on ARX because that CDR will probably overlap with Cubic's CDR. Yeah, so maybe I hold off until yeah. I graduate. Yeah, yeah, uh, definitely. <laughs> when you do your masters, for real, for real, and still no splashdown. Oh, all right. So sad. Well. I think this has been a good, like, 40 minutes, I think we've been talking. Yeah, roughly. Yeah. Good stuff. All right.
See you guys next week. See you next week. Peace out, Space Cadets. <laughs>